Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Laughing Out of Depression. I just want to start by saying thank you so much for your support. I heavy appreciate y'all. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and share it with at least three friends. Literally just text it. But before I start each episode, I want to warn you that some of these topics may be triggering to some of you. So if that is the case, please turn this off, reach out to someone you trust, or contact the suicide hotline. Speaking up is always a step forward to healing and recovery. Head to the link in my bio for some resources. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Laughing Out of Depression. I am so excited to have my bestie, Ileana Carpina here. I will reference her as Illy because literally I I don't I can only ever call her Illy. <laughs> but um call me Illy forever. <laughs> yes, I am so excited to have you here, girl. What the hell? You are literally like my <laughs> OG of talking all things mental health. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know we wouldn't even like get through anything at work. Yes. Okay. So Illy guys, I met her back in like, we were just talking about it like 2016, 2017, but I used to work at American Eagle and Illy was a manager there. So Illy doesn't exactly remember how we met or who hired me. And that's completely (laughs) fine because I literally was just shopping and got recruited and I got recruited by our uh, store manager and he literally, he apparently, he made me still fill out an application that you got. So, because that's how you got like my phone number and you You're right. Me. Yeah. Yes. But then I thought you were calling me for like an interview and you were like, yeah, so when are you, uh, when can you come into the store to fill out paperwork? And I was like, paperwork, <laughs> like, are you going to interview me? And you're like, no, like he told me to hire you. So I have to hire you because he's my <laughs> boss. And I was like, okay. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. I remember. <laughs> yeah. And then I got in, I went to the store, like, I think the next day or something. And then there mm-hmm. were all of it. Like, it was like a new, like an orientation thing. And I remember uh, some of the new people were like, how'd your interview go? And I'm like, it went great. (laughs) I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. (laughs) Good first impression. Good first impression. I know. And then after that, we literally just became like besties because, well, for starters, I had no idea when you called me, I had no idea that we really were like super close to age. You're only Mm -hmm. 26, 27. I turned 26 in August, so 25 right now. Yeah, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> I know. I'm so old. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm 24, but it's so crazy because, like, mm-hmm. it's the entire time you literally were my manager. And, like, I was the worst employee of, like, all employees at American Eagle. <laughs> and I just did not give a fuck. <laughs> we all had that moment. I was probably the worst manager, too, so... <laughs> Yeah, I honestly, I feel like you were one of the only people that like only managers that I really like ever listened to because I was like, I'm still trying to be cool with Illy because like she's cool. So like I'll follow what she says and stuff. But yeah, yeah, everybody else, I was like, "Mm, I'm good. I'm just gonna be I literally I feel like I was American Eagle hype girl for all of our employees. Because yes. I, I never worked. I just socialized. <laughs> yeah. and so I, would yell, I would yell at you a couple of times and you, you would hide in the corner with like probably a net or somebody else like in the jean wall just talking and gossiping. And I was like, guys, go talk to this person that just walked in. Like, go sell some jeans. Do something. <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh, my God. I will never forget this one time you like took me aside because like you had I was talking to so to one of our coworkers, and then you were like Hannah like go talk to people and I was like okay and then this one girl like I just like went up to her and she like needed help and I was like oh girl like I got you yeah. and she ended up buying like two or three pairs of jeans which for me I was like all right like go for it you know like and yeah it's not like we got commission or anything but I was like yeah make me look good you know because <laughs> I got yelled at right now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then, and then I, it was either you or like junior and you go like, oh, like, how'd you, like, how do you guys know each other? Like, have you guys been friends for a long time? And I'm like, I just met her like <laughs> literally 10 minutes ago. Like, I don't know her. You definitely were the social butterfly at, at American Eagle. You were definitely one of them. And 
Ugh, American Eagle, what a world when that feels like centuries ago. I know. And it's so crazy. And honestly, I am so thankful for American Eagle because it, mm-hmm. although was just like, a, it was a fun job for me. Let's be honest. It was very fun. I socialized <laughs> all the time. I literally got paid. Whenever you wanted to come in. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> That's true. I, I literally, oh my God, literally, I don't know how that store ever put up with me. I'm just so thankful for American Eagle because one, it introduced me to people like you who have been Mm -hmm. just so pivotal in my life. And I think that you are literally the OG of me talking about like mental health and comfortable talking about it. And especially Mm -hmm. like, like my own personal, you know, my journey and my experiences Yeah, because you were someone that was really close to, you know, we're close in age and you mm-hmm. were just as open with me as I was with you and it just you know like it, it felt good to know that there was someone else that was like me that understood everything that I was going through because you were also living it yeah and so <clears throat> that's actually I like that you brought that up because I was literally just going to tell you the same thing I never really had anyone understand the emotions and what I was feeling as well as you did because no one really had experienced the sort of loss and like mental health issues that come after such a huge loss in your life afterwards and up to that point I maybe had met one other guy in college who kind of went through the same thing I did um and he's doing really great very successful right now too Um, But I think you two are probably like the only people that really understood what I was going through at that time. And I was felt comfortable talking about my journey and my mental health with you too. Because like you said, I think we both understood each other and it's really hard to find people that understand it. And like, I love my friends. They've been so supportive, super great and stuff. But um, sometimes it's hard to express how you're feeling um, to some people that may not understand that huge loss that we've experienced. in our past. I think that there were times where I was definitely excited to go into work just because I knew that you were going to be there. So I knew that I, mm-hmm. like, it almost got to a point where like every time we would work together, it was like, all right, when are we going to have our moment to like get into deep talks? <laughs> because they were so good. <laughs> we would wait till like nine o'clock when the doors were closed and we were, I was just counting the registers, you were fixing clothes and before we knew it, we had gone so deep into our conversation. <laughs> yeah, literally like every, and it was almost like every single shift that we mm-hmm. would get super deep into conversation. It was almost like where we left off the last time. And yeah. it's just crazy how, I don't know, there was like so much to talk about, but at the same time, it's like we understood each other's like grief and loss, although mm-hmm. our loss was like different. Because yeah. So for me, I mean, many people here know that I, my father passed away 10 years ago, but Mm -hmm. for you, it was your brother who passed away. Yeah. So my older brother was diagnosed with a really rare terminal illness syndrome, really whatever you want to call it. It's called Kern-Sayre syndrome, KSS for short. It's a really rare disease and it's really hard to diagnose it. And so he got diagnosed with that at a really young age, maybe two, three years old. I, I'm not quite exactly sure on the time frame, but it was around that time because my parents started to notice um, deficits in his eyes and his eyesight. And that's like one of the uh, key signs that of this disorder is that your eyes start to like kind of get droopy, eyesight problems. So Basically what this disease does is he doesn't, he didn't have mitochondria in his his cells. So the energy like we do. And so it's going to sound kind of like morbid, but I basically went through 21 years of my life watching my brother slowly deteriorate and die. Um, You know, cause he lost his eyesight. He lost his hearing. He lost his mobility to walk, his feeding, you know, all these self-help skills and any sort of doctor you can imagine having, he had neural, cardio, muscle, ortho, all these different type of doctors. And it wasn't, so the disease just kind of progressed. It was like every so years, it was like emergency rooms. And it's like, okay, he lost his hearing sight. How can we adjust as a family for that to kind of help um, accommodate our home, accommodate him to his hearing loss? So it's just little by little. And then finally, I guess the last phase of, this illness was he developed dementia back in 
2014, maybe a little bit before that. Um, and we didn't start noticing the signs until he started shaking again because he used to tremble a lot when he was younger. Mm-hmm. And then we had years when we started seeing him tremble and then he kind of started talking gibberish. He started talking about like things past that had happened as if they were current. So my parents are like, okay, that's, I think it's time now for the dementia. And so we're like, oh, we'll just adjust to that too. But unfortunately what was happening with the dementia was that his brain cells were deteriorating and dying. And so at that point, doctors really couldn't do anything. So it's just like a waiting point. And that waiting point, unfortunately was only like two weeks. And so he ended up um, passing away in May, May 29th of 2014. And so that, so it's, I'll be seven years in May. So that long, <laughs> yeah. seven years. Wow. That's insane. And I'm so sorry for your loss. And I definitely mm-hmm. obviously know um, how you mm-hmm. feel and was really there, I guess, for you during those years. And um, I mean, I guess I met you two years really after your brother's loss. And I think for me, it had already been maybe five. Um, mm-hmm. But it's crazy because I always look to you for advice when mm-hmm. you were so like you just held yourself together so well yeah and although I knew that you were still grieving like you just were so good at just holding yourself together even though you were still like really grieving because I mean we had times where we literally were like bawling mid yeah yeah like, I didn't even think that like you met me in the like the prime time of my grief and I think a lot of the reason why I held it together was because I was kind of holding it together at home too because when he um passed away when he died I was the one who kind of had to like step in and really plan his funeral along with um some of my cousins who you know my older cousins who were supportive because at the time you know my mom was grieving um my dad was grieving And then I had my little brother too, who at that time was 11. And, you know, unfortunately me and him had to grow up quickly and mature really quickly, but still like, that's my um, little brother. Like I had to kind of keep it together at home. And then I was in college, I was in school, I was, you know, working full time and stuff. So I kind of learned to hold it together. And that's why I most even appreciated our conversations a little bit more because I couldn't really talk about this kind of stuff at home or with my family. Um, I would talk about it with my friends. And then I met you who was kind of experiencing the same things, like I said, and I was like, whoa, like finally like a breath of fresh air where I can really feel comfortable talking about my grief, my depression, my anxiety with somebody who actually understands why my grief is at its prime time right now. Yeah, definitely. And I think that at the time where you already, so you are now, um, you're a social worker. Yeah, Yeah. so I graduated, so in 2017, I graduated with my bachelor's in social work, and then I kind of took some time off, like, I still worked at the store for maybe, like, eight months afterwards, just because I, like, again, like, I needed a break, Mm -hmm. (laughs) everything, and to really start processing my grief, because I had held it in for two, three years after he died, and so then my parents finally realized, like, whoa, like, you guys need some time. And so they weren't really putting a lot of pressure on me to really find a job in my career right away. And so I kind of was browsing my options, still stayed at American Eagle. I ended up finding a job in the city um, that I didn't really like. Um, It was more of like a call center for like um, an EAP program, an employee assistance program. Like you call us, we'll get you connected with like a a mental health counseling area will cover the first three sessions, but I would have to do an assessment. So at least it got me comfortable doing assessments and um, in the moment counseling or crisis counseling, what they want to call it. Um, and so right now, yeah, I guess I am a social worker. My official title at work is a family support worker. So I work with um, first time moms who are low income, you know, recently immigrated, undocumented, um, single teen moms. Um, and so I, I enjoy my individual one-on-one work. Um, but then after everything happened last year with the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement and the elections, it just kind of sparked um, this energy to really advocate for change and really 
um, touch more base into the advocacy part of social work. And so I and my my best friend Jocelyn and I, you know Jocelyn, <laughs> text each other all the time, like preaching about like human rights and civil rights and stuff. And so I just started sparking an interest. I'm like, okay, like it's been a couple of years now since my brother passed away. Like I'm kind of like at a good point where I can really now focus on myself. I processed a good amount of my grief, like time to now be proactive. And so I started looking into grad school. And so I'm gonna get, I'm gonna start grad school in March um, and get my master's in social work and my master's in mediation and conflict resolution. Cause I would like to organize like act, like activist um, protests, if that's like for Black Lives Matter, for Hispanics, for um, voting. Cause obviously with last year's election, a lot of states are now wanna implement some stricter um, law, uh, laws in place for elections ultimate goal would maybe even one day run for office as like a senator as a district representative that's like a future future goal of mine but for right now I wouldn't mind working for like a non-for-profit agencies that maybe even is working on um, sex trafficking and advocacy for that too so that's the beauty of social work is that there's so much you can do with it but it's also kind of like the tricky part because since there's so much it's like where do I go (laughs) yeah dude that is so awesome and I truly just like admire you for doing it I can't imagine just like how difficult it is to um I guess help all of these like families and women but then also be going through your own like struggles but just having to like put your energy into it girl I know it's a lot (laughs) And honestly, like props to you because Uh you are a badass and you literally have been a badass since you were younger, like (laughs) hands a thousand percent. Like, I think Uh you weren't even like 21 yet when we met probably. Mm, No. Yeah. You were like 20. I was like 20. Yeah. 1920. Yeah. Oh my God. That's insane. Yeah. Cause my brother died when I was 18. And mm-hmm. yeah, so when you met me, it was like 1920. Wow. Yeah, you were 20 because I was I was 19 because mm-hmm. I remember I was going through my and you know what's so wild is that like we were going through like this stage together where we kind of were like we basically were going through like our rough stage of like grief that consisted mm-hmm. of just being like reckless. Oh yeah. But like when we talk about it, it was so much fun. Like it was like <laughs> Being drunk every single day, Wednesday. <laughs> yes. And it was like, it was the absolute, like, it just, I look back on that now and mm-hmm. I'm like, holy fuck. Like we literally were like really going through it. And the only times we ever like, you know, talked about it all was when we were working together mm-hmm. that we'd process like the emotions that we were feeling, but then we'd also be like, let's share how reckless we're being this week. <laughs> yes. So- and it's so funny because you would think at the time it'd be like, huh, these are not really like healthy coping skills, but that's just a part of grief to mm-hmm. be honest. Like you, like you have to hit your lowest low. And I def- I a hundred percent hit my lowest low. Like I remember at the time when my friend at the time, um, she had to like physically drop me off at the student counseling center and be like, you need to get help. Cause my mind, I was doing a lot of reckless things with, with boys, with my finances, with my families, hurting my relationships around me, um, doing different things. And, so, and then unfortunately it did get to the point where, you know, some thoughts came into mind and stuff. And I'm grateful for her that she dropped me off at that counseling center. Cause and then I did start seeking some counseling while I was in school at the time. So, but yeah, we were really reckless, <laughs> but I mean, I'm not gonna lie I did have some fun in that recklessness like it was just my opportunity to kind of like let loose and forget about my problems yeah it um it's really interesting because I actually find that like American Eagle part of my life to be like a very significant like era for me um because I mean yeah like you you know like I literally was like reckless but I feel like also when I left that store I was almost like closing a chapter of like my immaturity you know and I was like 
really trying to discover like who Hannah truly was because like towards the end it was really hard for me to have like conversations with other co-workers because one the kids were younger right I mean by that time I was like 21 22 still yeah but um it just it it felt like I just was in a different stage in my life that no one else could come like really understand and by that Mm -hmm. time like you were already gone like you were only working there like maybe four hours a week or something you know like you were only there for like like one day a week like floor sets and stuff really yeah so by that time it just was like I felt like everybody that before was more so like understanding of me and just Mm -hmm. my life and everything like I just I didn't have that anymore that's a good way to put I actually never thought of seeing American Eagle as the chapter of my immaturity closing but that is a really good way to put it because do a lot of reckless stuff we had some fun of course you know like it's not it's not a crime to have some fun and stuff but after a while, like, I was just kind of like, okay, I need to, like, snap out of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I really need to snap out of this. And it's crazy because I think that now, like, if if I would be, like, if I was this age and working there and you were, like, the old Illy, like, the younger Illy, I'd probably be, like, dude, your fucking coping mechanism right now is, like, trash like you need to throw that shit yes. out the window like <laughs> yeah like we need to like fix you up girl like, you need some help. I, I think about that so I'm like dang like if I sometimes think maybe if I didn't go if I didn't do this I wonder how like how my life would have changed like if I you know if I decided not to go to that party what would have happened like it's a lot of you know what ifs but you can't live in the what ifs and the one thing that I have learned as part of my like grief journey is, and this may sound a little weird, but when you get to that stage of acceptance and grief, you're not really accepting the fact that the person's gone, that the person, you're not, because to me, like, it's always going to be really hard to accept that fact that my brother's not here with me when he has had such a huge impact in my life. He's like the sole reason why I'm in the career field that I am. He's the reason why I am the way I am. And a lot of what motivates me from my brother is he didn't have a lot of the opportunities that you and I had. Like he, when he, he passed away when he was 21, but his mindset was that of like an eight-year-old, seven-year-old and stuff. And so he didn't really have a lot of the opportunities that we get to have to go to college, to make friends, to, you know, one day find love. Um, if men stop being dumb, no, just kidding. <laughs> Um, but, um, you know, so in my mind is like, why am I going to waste my life doing these things? And, you know, like, I almost feel like that's such like a slap in the face to him. And so part of the acceptance of grief is learning to live with it. That's really what the acceptance stage is, is you're learning to live with the grief. You accept that grief is going to be a part of you and it's going to be a part of your life because, Some months I can go and I'm completely fine. And then, you know, May comes around and I'm a little triggered and I fall into like this deep grief, depression state of almost like if I'm back to phase one, but I, you learn to cope with it. You know, you've developed healthier coping skills as the time has gone on. And I definitely think I have, but I, it's just more accepting that grief is a part of your life and it's, okay, how am I going to live with it now? Yeah, I definitely have found it like it's so sad for me to give to like say, you know, to other people like I'm sorry for your loss because mm-hmm. I've al- I've said it before and I I always say it to people like even outside of the recording, but like when people would say to me like I'm so sorry for your loss, I was like, okay, like, like I, I, just, I don't even know how to respond like thank you <laughs> yeah like thank you but then also if people ask me like well what should I say to someone who just lost like their friend or a parent or a sibling or you know whatever it may be um I always like it's I'm almost like just don't say I'm sorry for your loss in a way you know <laughs> like I don't know. And even I just think about it and I'm like, I said, I said that to you or like literally a few minutes ago, but then I'm like, I just like, at this point, it's like, what do you like? It's still like, what do you say? Yeah. So that's a, so for me when, you know, cause you know, some of my friends have experienced loss too and, and stuff. 
And I don't know why I've come to say this a lot too, but I always say, feel the grief and feel the emotions as like, you need to feel the grief and you need to feel the emotions. Don't suppress it because that's really when (laughs) things can kind of go downhill. And it's like, you're allowed to feel that grief. And I almost wish that someone would have told me that seven years ago at the prime of all of this. Cause like I said, I kind of had to keep it together. Like uh, my mom doesn't really remember who was at my brother's funeral. Granted, there was like a lot of people, (laughs) but I can name them all off. And Mm -hmm. I always tell people, you need to feel the grief and you need to feel the emotions because they're valid. Yeah. Like what I tend to tell people is like, feel the grief, feel the emotions. It's going to suck and it's going to be hard, but it's good to feel them. Yeah. That's crazy. I literally blacked everything out after my dad's, like literally after, like the second after my dad died in the hospital. After that, Mm -hmm. I just like blocked everything off. I have no idea. And like, mind you, he passed away when we were in Chicago, but we still went to Mexico like two days after his death. And like, I have no, like, I have no recollection of any of that at all. Yeah. And that, I think that's really common. You hear a lot of people say that, like I blacked out. Yeah. And there are little parts where I've, I've blacked out a little bit too. Um, But I guess like, since I had to be so self-aware at the Mm -hmm. time, I was doing like, okay, what, like, I asked my mom, I was like, what color do you want the casket? She said white. I'm like, okay, great. Let me go get, let me go find it. Like my dad wanted a church. So I was like, okay, let's go to the church. You know? So I was kind of a little bit more aware. So I guess that's why I didn't really black out. If anything, I feel like I blacked out the year after, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I think it's really common to black out after news. Like, I mean, after your dad passed away, like, I think it's very common. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like my mom and my brother definitely still remember, but for me, I think the only thing I really remember of like his wake was just like how annoyed I was with like literally everyone because Mm -hmm. it just is so like, it's like irritating being (laughs) the, you know, like the family member of the like dead person. And then (laughs) when everyone is like trying to like come up to you, like literally strangers are like, coming up to you Mm -hmm. and like trying to like hug you and like comfort you and I'm literally like I never knew you in my life and like I'm completely fine with that you know like I just I I don't want to like I just I was someone that like one I hate being touched but then two it's like I just lost my dad like I only want to be surrounded by like literally my dad and like nobody else Mm -hmm. so like please don't talk to me don't touch me don't anything isn't that funny like how funerals or wakes are actually kind of like an inconvenience for the family members (laughs) yeah I just want to be alone in my grief and I just want to cry like yes I, I can't be standing up here thanking everybody for their condolences and for coming I remember that I also thought like am I like what am I supposed to act like right now because I was always like my mom always taught us to act like you know just be fine and like move on and never let anybody see that you're sad or upset Mm -hmm. whatever and I just remember being like I'm gonna be completely like you know strong through all this but like internally I was just dying like I just I only wanted my dad you know and um I just, it's like so crazy because people were even I have like some of my cousins that were even like dude like you were laughing throughout your dad's funeral like you were like not in a bed like I was just like interacting with like my cousins and stuff and at the time like I remember I just wanted to be like a little bit reckless I think I don't know we were doing something in the rooftop but like <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah but um yeah we were just like I I pretty much was like in denial though you yeah know? and well that's what it's like probably one the first stage of grief is you're in denial it's like because you really and it, and it hits you so suddenly and stuff like as much as you can prepare for it mm-hmm. you know and so until it happens you're just like kind of like okay well now what like how am I supposed to move forward if I'm not ready to yeah. and you start doing all these recklessness stuff again to kind of deter your mind from what's really going on and that's again why I emphasize so much to like friends after friends now and family now that I come across that have lost somebody I'm like make sure you feel that grief and feel the emotions that I'm like if you can do it with your family members even better because yeah. that's where me and my family um kind of messed up was that we never 
grieve together. And that's why we and connected. <laughs> that's why we connected because then you go look, searching for it somewhere else. Like I clearly remember my relationship with my parents, like probably like the good two years after that was were really bad, like super bad. And I remember even my mom telling me too, like, like you forgot about Diego like it was nothing like you go out with your friends every single day like or my your friends are here every single day and I remember one time having to sit down and talk to her and be like the reason why I'm with my friends every single day is because I can go and cry to them and that's I think that also kind of triggers something in my mom too to be like whoa (laughs) like we need to start actually conversating as a family but sometimes again going back like it these are just a process of phases of grief is the first part is yeah you're going to be a little bit recklessness reckless and that's fine because <laughs> you don't really know how to feel like or even just standing there like you said it's like okay this is kind of awkward <laughs> yeah it like it just I mean for you I guess like were your parents like did they show their grief or did you guys just completely act like you just was- went on so um my dad's um more emotional than my mom is and stuff and so even at my brother's funeral my dad was more emotional than my mom my mom is a very strong woman and I love her and even too I think so so my brother died so my brother died right in 2014 in 2013 my grandma died so my mom's mom and then in 2012 um her sister died so imagine going through three years of heavy losses for her so I almost understood why she was a little bit closed off and I wanted to give her that space uh, but when we did like have like some Sunday lunches or Sunday dinners together it was a very like you were kind of walking on water a little bit like men- the mention of Diego would piss her off that my dad would start crying and then I would just kind of be like I'm over this yeah. and but um what ended up clicking for us too and realizing that okay we need to really start experiencing this as a family was that we kind of forgot about my little brother Mm. he was young you know he was 11 when um Diego passed away and so then by the like 13 12 um however old you are in eighth grade um there was a kid who lived down the street from us And so my parents would sometimes give that kid a ride to the middle school. And so this kid, you know, he's, he's just a kid. He likes to talk. He likes to go on and sentences and stuff a little bit, how Diego used to be Diego Mm -hmm. with Leslie and just talk the most random sort of stuff. And, and it, and it creased, especially during his like last few months in his dementia and Diego and Alex shared the same room. And so one day we just got a call from Alex's school saying like, hey, like we need to bring you guys in because um, Alex was bullying a kid. And we're like, what? Alex, like you've been my, me, my little brother's sweetest kid ever, golden child, like, and I baby him a lot too. So when I heard that, I was like, what? And so whatever, my parents went and ended up being the kid that lived down the street. And so then when we got home, we asked Alex like, hey, like, it's just us now, like, what's going on? And he just started crying, and he's like, he just reminds me of Diego so much, and I get so angry. Sorry, I'm going to start crying. Mm. <laughs> and that's when it really, like, hit us, like, we need to start grieving together, because now Alex doesn't even have his own way to express his grief, and, you know, he wasn't bullying the kid. He just told the kid, like, I don't want to be your friend anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't want you <laughs> near me and stuff, and so that was what really, like, um, made us realize as a family, like, we're all suffering this grief together. No one's grief is any greater than anybody else's. Like, let's start doing family things together. We started being able to kind of talk about it more as a family. We started, you know, doing things together, going back to doing Sunday dinners, Saturday dinners, going back to our family parties, going back and having lunches together and stuff. And so, you know, that's why I also encourage people, if you are grieving, to grieve with your loved ones and your families, no matter how hard, how uncomfortable it may be, you need to do it because it can get to a point where there's no coming back. And thankfully we didn't get to that point, although we were really close to getting to that point. So 
you're grieving out there, grieve with your family. No one's sadness, no one's grief is any less than anybody else's because you're going through the same thing together. Yeah. I don't know. Someone were to tell us that, like, literally when we were still working together, I think maybe the both of us would have been like, well, we've already been like feeling it, you know, like we already like felt our grief, but realistically, like we were still kind of in denial too about it, you know? Um, but accepting it and being able to feel I I felt like before when I was going through like my whole emotional like breakdowns of just like missing my dad and wanting nothing more than to be with him I felt like that for me was like feeling his death you know because it was obviously yeah. like I could like pinpoint it um but like man <laughs> like it's only like the little it's only yeah. the beginning <laughs> yeah like 10 years later and I it's crazy for me to say but like 10 years later and I am still like grieving my dad and grieving just like my life before him you know it's just like mm-hmm. all of it you know and even like you know those memories are even um learning how to be a family again I feel like that's a one thing that my family although it's been 10 years like my family struggles with like we it's awkward to be honest to even say like the term family because Mm -hmm. family for us is four but it's three now you know so it's um so it just it doesn't feel right to say family like I always have to say my my mom and my brother like I I can never say family because it's still like it's still something that like we I guess we kind of are like working on um but I would a thousand percent say that for me and like my family uh we definitely are not at the point of um of I guess like healing together like being emotional together you know I think usually they only get together when I'm literally in like my suicidal ideation I'm literally like very bad yeah Mm -hmm. dude like that's the only time that my family's like holy fuck like maybe we should get together you know is like when one of us is literally on the verge of being six feet under yeah and that's really I think that's very common it's like you know you're not there until something major happens and stuff and then you start thinking like crap because like what if what if you know one day this did happen you know and then it's like grief doesn't you don't get over anything overnight like I said grief is going to be a lifelong journey that's going to be stuck with us for a really long time and like you said it's been 10 years for you um seven years for me and there's still it's still work in progress and I think that's what sometimes some people fail to realize is like you're not going to get over something so quickly if you do please let me know how it is because I would like some tips but no it's definitely a work in progress but I think the main um, starting point is communication and I know it kind of sounds really cheesy but like really communicating and listening versus getting defensive and stuff because like I said like I when my mom told me like oh you forgot about Diego right away and it's like no I didn't I was like I go hang out with my friends and I'm like crying my eyes out to them or I get blacked out drunk and then I'm a weeping mess and stuff and I'm like because I can't talk about it here at home and at first yeah she was a little defensive and stuff but then which is fine you know you can be defensive about it but then revisit the conversation and really be like this is how I feel it's nothing to do with you this is just how I feel these are my emotions let me listen to what you're feeling like what's it like for you so I would just definitely encourage you and your family to really find the time to really communicate and like just really listen and understand but I know it's a little bit of a struggle sometimes it's not always going to be easy yeah I mean I have been going to therapy like on and off for mm-hmm. the past like 10 years um like 10 eight years um but I mean that's kind of one of the things that I realize is that I get super defensive too when mm-hmm. like it's more so um I've now learned to think before I react or like before I talk and then also realizing that my parent is human and yeah. they you know like she feels you know the same emotion like we're just different people and we react differently yeah. but mm-hmm. we're we're human like we feel mm-hmm. you know so obviously it's like she also needs like her time to process and although she may be defensive at times 
she just needs kind of like that space to process and then comes back and is like okay let's like revisit this conversation like let's talk about it normally you know yeah it's not something to take personal it's just almost like trauma response to be completely honest to be defensive because I think what you and I experience is trauma yeah trauma is healing and it's a part of your life um some PTSD can be involved at some place too. Um, if I can give an example, um, a lot of the reasons why I struggle, we were talking about it, like I struggle to sleep a, at night a lot too, like usually like midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock. Um, and a lot of the reason for that is because those were like prime times when my parents would one day wake me up and be like, Diego's not feeling well, we need to rush to the hospital. One of us will be back in the morning, take care of your brother. And it was always between those times. So it's kind of like triggering for me to kind of be awake, but that, you know, those are some of unfortunately the effects that we have from it. Um, But yeah, I'm glad you're in therapy um, and, you know, doing the work. I know, like you said, it's on and off sometimes. And I think it's okay to be on and off because um, sometimes the purpose of therapy is not really meant to be long-term a lot of the time because you also have to really take in what your therapist says and really start applying those coping mechanisms and be active about it unless obviously you know you really need to go back and go back um, but yeah I was the worst I literally for a whole year right I've been going to therapy for about a year now and I think the first like few months I was completely still like in denial of why I was really in therapy. I knew I needed help, but I just like refused. Mm-hmm. To, like, I don't know. It was just very odd. Okay. But yeah. yeah. And I've listened to a couple of your episodes of your uh-huh. podcast. I've understood like how the pandemic has kind of really affected your life and stuff. And so it is still triggering too. Cause then you start, you start feeling the emotions you felt back then too. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's insane because I was thinking about it before our recording, but I'm like, today, my life is like, I'm so busy throughout the day that like, I wish I had even like three hours to hang out with a friend to just like, literally just, you know, like hang out with it, like just be chill. And it's crazy how at the beginning of the pandemic, it's like, I thought that I was so busy and I was just completely wasting my time. Like I was not doing (laughs) anything productive, like, you know, and it's like, I mean, yeah, I enjoyed myself. I love the person that I was with, but like, I was just being completely unproductive. Mm-hmm. now I'm like I can't imagine like I don't even have time for my friends like I know and last year feels like 10 years ago too yeah it does which is like oh my god it's just it's all so insane but I think that you know what I've really been working on throughout really I guess like this pandemic in a way even when it first started is like my healing journey Mm -hmm. and like the whole process because I was still in denial of like many traumas in my life and obviously like my dad's was a huge one for me but even that for me was like I had never really been fully just emotional and open about it I guess Mm -hmm. you know so it wasn't really until like this past year that I started to like start working on myself because I was like almost living this like false reality of the person that I used to be but I'm like not Mm -hmm. her anymore you know you're evolving you know you're evolving it's like how you said earlier like the closing of American Eagle was one chapter now that second part is not closed and now you're on to your new your next chapter yeah beautiful thing too it's and I like how you phrase it. it's my healing journey because I honestly same <laughs> I've been going through like the exact same thing it's kind of uh we were talking about this or like learning to finally for once love myself yeah and yeah. to stop feeling insecure and to really develop those healthy coping skills I need to go back into therapy I'll admit it although side comment you know it's really easy for us to say let's go back go back to therapy go back to therapy therapy is expensive (laughs) it's you know and some insurances may not cover it some may not but for in that situation I just advise people to really read the books surrounding therapy and coping skills Brene Brown's a really good one she does a lot about vulnerability and shame you know start practicing those 
healthy skills and save up some money to go into therapy. Um, but anyways, that's a side comment. <laughs> but yeah, no, this, I think it sounds crazy. Like the pandemic is definitely a curse, but it's also been kind of a blessing to finally really have the time to work on ourselves. Yeah. I say that often on here. Like, it's true. I think that the the pandemic obviously has been really, really tough. But I think that for many of us, it was a blessing for other people that just lived these super fast-paced lives. And it, they finally, you know, it forced them to, like, slow down and really focus on their life and what it their reality is. Like, you know, it just – and then so many people that just thought that they knew what they were doing and then – you are literally stuck at home and you're like, oh, fuck, what is my next move now? You know? Yeah, like that meme, like that quote meme always floats around. It's like, wow, so my only hobbies were going out to bars and drinking. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, crap, like what was I doing? But I think you and I have always been fast paced people. Like mm-hmm. the go, go, go. We always have to be, have things planned and stuff. And I hate working from home. My job is not designed to be meant from home. It's the absolute freaking worst, but it has given me more time to go back to the gym and work out to um, really start reading back books. Like I said, I've been reading some Bernie Brown books and really start <laughs> working on myself. Um, and like you too, I think you, you mentioned that you were also doing some like spiritual stuff too. Yes. Okay. So for one, spiritually I mean you kind of said it before recording but you aren't really like close to your to your faith um or I guess to like religion Mm -hmm. um I am still trying to figure it out because I I want to say that like I do I do believe in a god like I I do believe but the thing is is that like I'm not really with like the whole like Christianity, Catholicism, like, I just, I, I don't know. Like, I I just, it's not, it's not for me. Like, I think that if I go to church every weekend and stuff, it's not, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Based off like my life experiences and stuff, like we used to be like heavily involved in the church growing up, you know, baptism, communion, church school and stuff like that on Sundays and going to services and stuff. But unfortunately, um, my family has just experienced a lot of pain with some relatives surrounding, you know, the church and uh, Catholic, um, how do you say Catholicism? Catholicism. Yeah, with Catholic. And then personally for me, I just, what's the word to use? I guess I'll use the word resentment in a sense, you know, and I still have a lot of questions as to why things happen the way they were but I'm like you I believe in the God I believe in the higher power you know and I you know if something bad happens I'm like I'm praying to God that everything works out fine if something good is happening in my life I'm like thank God you know I have this good stuff going around me um I also believe you know that there is like a Satan and all that stuff too um but I just can't take it in a lot of um and a lot of forms such as you know going to church every Sunday like I kind of even feel weird sometimes walking into a church um you know it's just that's just me and that's something that I'm still trying to figure out on my own and stuff and saying okay well what can I like do and um one of my good friends um my best friend Jose he's really into like manifesting and candles and crystals and stuff so I like talking to him about that kind of stuff and seeing maybe that's something I can kind of dip my toes into um to just kind of get like that good energy (laughs) that I need sometimes I love that I feel like me and you are have always been in sync when it comes to our paths and like how Mm -hmm. we're doing because same like well, for for one, I when it comes to the Catholic Church, you kind of um, you said that you felt like a resentment, and um, I definitely I feel that I my I grew up going to Catholic schools, um, and I grew up going to church every Sunday and like once during the week the the weekday whatever like the Wednesday Thursday one yeah that one mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, but I mean I was always a girl that fell asleep. Like I was like, daddy, I need your lap because 
I'm oh, bitch is taking a nap. Yep. Snap <laughs> <laughs> <Bad> time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I, like, when I was younger, I was okay with it. But when my dad passed away, I just felt like they were never there to really help us, even though it was like our community church, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. they just kind of like turned their back almost. So yeah. like, all right, like so much for like community, you know, and whatever mm-hmm. the fuck you like. Pray. Preach about. Yeah, exactly. So um, my family turned more towards like Christianity, but even then, like some of my dad's family, like they're very religious, but Mm-hmm. They're a little bit, I would consider them like extremists. And I call it, I call it fanatismo. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not with that. Like, neither am I. I have an aunt like that. <laughs> and even then, I just like avoid the entire conversation of religion with my family members because it's just like too like if you want to be a fanatic of God, that's awesome. Good for you. Like mm-hmm. if it works like, for you, that's great. I, yes. I applaud you. Like I will encourage whatever support where, if it's from the church, if it's from support groups, wherever it's from, definitely yes. please do not try and advocate that to me and try and push it on me. Cause I've had it pushed on my life for so long and yep. I didn't need it. Yes. Yes. A thousand percent. I just want to say thank you so much for listening. Please go follow the podcast on Instagram, Laughing Out of Depression. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe so you can get updates whenever a new episode drops. Also, support La Raza and go share it with your friends. And that is a wrap on another episode. Thank you all so much for making me a part of your day. Just a reminder, I am not a licensed therapist, nor do I intend to be one. I speak solely out of my own experiences. I am literally just a 24-year-old unemployed Chicagoan living in my parents' house with a marketing degree. So if you or anyone you know needs help, please go to the link in my bio for some resources, sending you all so much peace and positive energies. (music) 